please turn your Bibles to John chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1 and go to verse 16 this morning. John chapter 3, 1 through 16. It's not hard to see why John 3.16 is the most famous, most memorized, most cherished verses in the Bible. In John 3.16, it gives us a one-sentence summary of the Bible's most important truths. And so packed in this verse are the greatest realities that exist. God and, and love, the world, the Son, faith, perishing forever and, and living forever. And so, really, what could be more important? What could or, or should be more relevant to you and I right this moment? What could be more urgent? What could be more urgent for you to stand in relation to God and and of everything that this verse is packed with. This verse determines whether a person perishes or has eternal life. And so it's easy to see why this is one of the most beloved verses in all of the scriptures. John chapter 3, verse 1 through 16. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Well, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is God's word for us today. I want to start the year off with a sermon series that would give us, as a church family, a really great, solid first step. I've got to tell you that the Nova Church family is in a healthy and a strong place. 
Sure, we're not perfect, and our ministries always need improvement, and we've been working on this in our staff. We've been, we're going to look at every area of ministry, and we're going to say, what can we do for the, to the glory of God to bring this ministry into more excellence? But I know if you were here last week, NOVA classes kicked off a whole new quarter, and we're excited for these classes that we have in this quarter. As Adam announced this morning, Nova small groups are in the starting gate for their first meeting, not this week, but next week, and the, the small group leaders are going to be meeting after Nova classes today uh, for lunch in a, in, a, in, a, in a new year kickoff. In a few short weeks, probably about 100 children and youth and adults will be out there in that parking lot, rain or shine, rain or shine. And we're going to be pre-building a house for an impoverished family in Mexico. And then in the middle of February, a team will transport it across the border, on a trailer across the border, caravan together somewhere in Ensenada. And we're going to put that house up and give that home to a, a family that doesn't have a home right now. And I went on that trip last year, and, and it, it was truly life-changing. And so if you're thinking, maybe I should go. Maybe I should take my son or daughter. Maybe I should bring the family. I, I would do it. It's, it's uncomfortable at times. It's a little scary in Mexico and, and driving. And I'm hope, hopefully I'm encouraging you to go by those. Uh... <laughs> you know, but we're... We seek comfort too much, I think, in our world, in our culture. And so to, to go there, to cross the border, you'll pray like you haven't, you know, I haven't prayed in a long time, just kind of living right here in the South Bay. And you build that house and you hammer nails. And at the end of that Saturday, you give that family the keys to that house. And um, it's, it's life-changing. And so you have to go. You, you really have to go. In the middle of all that here, our NOVA budget is in a place that it, it should be at this time. And through God's provision and the generosity of each and every one of you, the sacrifice and the obedience of your giving, uh, we'll make our budget by the end of our fiscal year in March. Our open campaign is gaining momentum. New Nova people are making commitments to the campaign, and, and Lord willing, we'll break ground for our second phase of building in just a few weeks, maybe a few months from now. And not only that will we be building new things, but because it's about an open campaign, our hearts are being renewed, and, and I'm hearing all the time of people saying, I'm open to people to reach help reach them for Jesus Christ and to build God's kingdom. And that's really what the campaign's all about. Next week, we're going to celebrate as people profess their faith to Jesus Christ in baptism, and then we're going to welcome some people into membership, official members of Nova Community Church. And all of that is so good as I think about this new year, and, and I'm stepping into it with confidence and and, and new reliance on God. But I'll, I'll tell you, I, I have a, a concern for the future. 
of the American church. And, and I have this concern for the church in the Western world. And my concern is that churchgoers are increasingly becoming all about themselves. And they're thinking of their own desires and their own needs and their own wants. They're beginning to be takers rather than givers. It's not what the body of Christ is about. The Western world with churchgoers are thinking about what's in it for me rather than what about others. And generally, churchgoers are becoming more consumeristic rather than how can I be a contributor to what God's doing in this local church. I don't know if, if any of you, how many of you have ever done a um, virtual reality thing and you put the uh, Dave and Buster's uh, sort of a thing? I, 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 I want to do that. It's, it's incredible, I, I heard. Um, and with all of that seriousness of what the Western world is doing in churches and being consumeristic and everything, um, I found this video, and it's all about the virtual reality church. Take a look at this. Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again, because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of a mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. <laughs> All right, so with all that seriousness, that's a little bit of fun, too, I think. But I, I, I really think, as we look into this year, we've got to really take a hard look at that. What's the church all about? What did Jesus come for? So I thought we'd start with an old favorite this morning in John chapter 3, verse 16. And I wanted to talk about the seven realities first in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's take a look at the seven realities of John 3.16. The first reality is God. There's no, other, there's no reason to think about any other, that this is about any other God 
than the God of the Bible. He's the all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe. He's personal. He's not just a force. He, he thinks and he wills and he feels. All of us were made by this creator God, and our first and highest duty in our life is to bring him honor and give him thanks. The first reality in John 3.16 is God. The second reality is the world. Now, the most common meaning for the word world here in the Gospel of John is the created and fallen totality of humanity. And that's the way John is describing the world here. It's this great mass of fallen humanity that needs salvation. The first reality is God. The second is the world. The third is gave. Now, I think this is the most remarkable of all the realities here in John 3.16, and it speaks to the giving character and the giving nature of God, and it's what he wants us to become. He wants us to become just like him. In in this reality of of him giving is the pinnacle of John 3.16, and two things need to be said about God's giving, and the first is this giving is from heaven down to earth, and the second is it's, it's, this giving is not just for the Son of God to come to earth, but it's for the Son of God to die. Notice in verse 17 of John 3, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So the giving here in verse 16 is God sending his Son into the world on a mission from heaven. It's an incredible statement when you really stop and you think about this. It's as if you would say to your child, to your son or your daughter, there's something I want you to do for me, son or, or daughter. I have some enemies that deserve to die, but I want you to die in their place so that they can have eternal life. And whatever you know, whatever you know about God, make sure that you know that God is a giver. The fourth reality here is the sun. Now, Muslims and other, others in other world religions stumble over the idea that God has a son. John chapter 1, verse 1, the very first words in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here we're introduced, right from the beginning of the Gospel of John, we're introduced to the Word, and we're told three things about him. The first is he is God, as we read verse 1. He's God. The Word was God. And then it says that he is with God. So if the Word was God, but he's with God, there's there's something that's distinct. the, The Son is distinct from God. And the third is he was always therefore in existence. He just never came to be. He was always there. In the beginning was the Word. John chapter 1 verse 14 explains this further. It says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. That's the fourth reality. It's of the Son. Now, I think if you're getting ahead in our notes, you're probably trying to guess what five, six, and seven are, right? And I think you have it because the fifth reality is believe. This means that not everyone will benefit from what Jesus came for. And the, the second is this. 
that the word itself means to embrace something as true. Believe means that we're going to embrace this as true. And when it's a person, that you trust this person and that you'll do what they say when you believe in this person. And the third part of the reality of belief is that in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, it, it shows that there's another word that John has in mind to explain believe, and that word is receive. In verses 11 and 12 in chapter 1, it says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The sixth reality is perish. The most clear and important, uh, uh, it's, it's what's most clear and important to see is that perish is an alternative to eternal life. It's in juxtaposition of that in this verse. It says not perish, but have eternal life. And so if you perish, you don't get eternal life. And the seventh reality is the word life. This doesn't simply mean that that you exist forever. Everybody exists forever, but not everyone has eternal life. In our believing, the Holy Spirit unites us with Jesus Christ, whom is life. And in that instant, we're born again, just like we sang this morning, and, and we believe and we're united with the Son of God, and we have his life. In John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me in me will never die. And then he says, do you believe this? It was, it was kind of funny as I'm looking at this verse and I was really praying, God, how do you want me to start in this year with this sermon series? And I was telling the guys in the office, and even we went out to dinner, my wife and I, with some good friends, and, and we were talking about uh, me preaching on John 3.16. This is actually the first uh, text, the first verse that I preached on ever in my whole life when I was about 22 years old. And then I was telling the staff this, this week, I was thinking, you know, I can't remember another time that I preached on John 3.16, but then I've got to tell you, I think it was just Thomas and Adam, I... That wasn't true. I, as, I, as I really thought about it, I thought, I know, I'm sorry. I thought about it this morning, and I thought, no, I preached that time about it and at the beach, and, and almost in every memorial service, all John 3.16. So, sorry, guys. I wasn't lying. I just didn't, I didn't remember. That, that's all. And I preached John 3.16, and there were times when I gave an invitation at the end for anyone who wants to believe and no one raised their hand. And I preached John 3.16. I don't know if you remember. We were just dating. We were at the beach and I was doing church on the beach in Hermosa. And I preached on John 3.16 the very first time and someone raised their hand and said, I believe. And then we, I said, do you want to get baptized? And they said, yeah. And we took them right down to the water. Now, fortunately, they didn't get, have to get baptized in regular street clothes. They were wearing board shorts and took off a shirt, and we baptized them right, right there. In almost every memorial service, I'll use this as my text. And I thought about it as I talked to the staff, and I was talking to friends last night. And I, a lot of it was, I was thinking to myself, you know, everyone knows this verse. 
if you're watching football today, inevitably, someone's going to have this on a little sign, right? And I started to think about the times that I gave invitations and the times that people didn't raise their hand and say, I believe. And I started to think about why can't you be a bit better preacher on John 3.16? It's the most famous verse. You should be able to do that better than any other verse in the whole Bible. And then this morning as I was praying, um, and I know this, and I think you know this, but I'll say it out loud. It's not about how good I am at preaching. It's about what the Holy Spirit does in people's lives that draws people unto himself. And so today... We're going to take a look at, at two truths about God in John 3.16. And I'm going to do my best, and I'll just let the Holy Spirit take it from there. Agree? Let's take a look at this then. Two truths about God in John chapter 3, verse 16. The first truth is this, that God loves the people of the world. God loves the people of the world. When John 3.16 says that God loves the world... It means God loves people who don't love him back. God loves people who take him for granted. God loves people who avoid him and ignore him and don't care about any of his commands. God loves people. He loves irreligious people. He loves non-Christians. God loves the world. But the Bible talks about this really interesting thing when we talk about God's love and everyone wants to talk about God love, God's love and love wins and all this sort of a thing. But as we read in the Bible, the Bible does talk about God's anger with sin. There's even a word commonly used in the Bible and in, in our conversations associated with God's anger and that word is wrath. The wrath of God, right? We've all heard that. The Bible describes a final judgment that will, when all people will stand before God and give an account for their lives. And those who fail the test on that day will suffer God's eternal wrath. So how can God, now this is a good question, how can God have wrath against sinners and at the same time love sinners how can you be angry and love at the same time the bible has stories about god judging others i mean one of the more um classic stories is noah's ark right it records how god destroyed many people through a great flood because of their evil hearts and desires and people literally died because they rebelled against god the bible teaches consistently that God feels anger towards people who disobey him and ignore him and take him for granted. So how do we make sense of this? The answer is, at the same time, God feels both anger and love towards those who ignore him. And it, I, I think the easiest way to, to think about this is if you're a parent and you have a child, you understand that that you love them and you're angry at them all at the same time. And it just, you want to just tear your hair out sometimes. And you know what? If you're not a parent, but if you've ever been romantically in love, I think you understand that too, that you, you love this person romantically, but then 
at times they anger you. Love and anger at the same time. And John 3.16 says that God loves all people, even those who make him angry as they disobey and ignore him. And because of his love, for a limited time, God gives the people of the world an opportunity to make peace with him. God loves the people in the world. In fact, God's love is so intense. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says that God himself is love. That's how intense his love is. God loves the poor, and he loves the rich. God loves the older adult, and he loves that baby that's snoozing in the Nova nursery right now. God loves the strong and the healthy, and he loves the weak and the sick and the brokenhearted. God loves the educated, and he loves the illiterate. God loves people of every group and culture and color. He loves the self-discipline. He loves the addict. He loves the proud and the pure, and he loves the powerless and the oppressed. God loves the divorced. He loves the happily married. He loves the miserably married. He loves those that are not yet married. He loves those who worship idols, and he loves those who worship sports. He loves atheists and Hindus and Buddhists, Muslims. He loves those, he loves those who take his name in vain. He loves his enemies. He loves those who hate him. He loves everyone. He loves you, no matter what you've done. And so the first amazing truth that we learn about God in John 3.16 is that God loves the world. He loves sinners, just like you and just like me. God loves his enemies. The second amazing truth of John 3.16 is God expresses his love by giving. God expresses his love by giving. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son. And God just doesn't love in words alone. He loves with his action of giving. The most important demonstration of God's love is Jesus Christ. Giving Jesus to the world was an act of radical, it was unthinkable love. How unthinkable was this love? Now, think about this. Easy to think about. Think about the person that you love the most in the world. The person you love the most. It's, it's maybe the person sitting right next to you. It's your, it's your spouse. It's your child. It's your mom. It's your dad. It's your brother or sister. It's your friend. It's the person you love the most. Just think about them and put their name. Just etch, your, etch, etch their name in your mind and then just set that aside. It's easy. Now think about the person that you have the worst feelings about. The worst feelings about. I know you don't want to etch their name in your mind. But think about the person you have the worst feelings about. Maybe it's a coworker that just irritates you. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone in your family. 
Maybe it's someone you've never met, but it's a celebrity or a politician or some, you know, someone that you read about or see on TV or, or, or whatever. But you just can't stand this person. I mean, even just thinking about them, it reminds you of chewing sand. It's that bad. But suppose that person that you have wor- the worst feelings about is in terrible need, and you find out they're in terrible need. Let's say they're in the hospital in critical condition. Maybe they need a transplant, a kidney transplant let's say, would you be willing to help that person at a personal cost to you? Would you volunteer to donate your kidney to that person? Would you, uh, even more critical, would you ask the person you love the most to volunteer to donate their kidney to this person that you feel worst about? Would you sacrifice the person you love the most to die so the person you consider an enemy could live. This is what God gave when he gave Jesus to the world. God did the unthinkable. It wasn't just a kidney transplant. It was his life. The, this gift is the greatest evidence of God's love for sinners. It's the greatest evidence of his love for you. God did this for you. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, how did God do this? God sent his son from heaven to earth to become a man and die for your sake. All human beings are under this death sentence because of their sins against God. God just doesn't overlook your sins just because he loves you so much. And this is why John 3.16 talks about the possibility of perishing. And this perishing is not just in the sense of dying physically, but perishing forever. Being condemned by God and, and being sent to a place of eternal sorrow and separation from God that we call this place hell. So that sinful people would not have to perish, God sent his one and only son Jesus, who lived a perfect life of obedience to God and then suffered torture, nailed to a cross for your sins where he suffered and died. And you deserve to perish forever, just like I do. But Jesus died as your substitute. And the Bible teaches that you can never be good enough to be forgiven for your sins. So Jesus paid this penalty for your sins when he suffered and he died on the cross. And Jesus could do this because he was a man like no other. No imperfect human being could die on the cross to set others free from their sin. Jesus is God's one, unique, specifically loved son. And God made this clear when Jesus was baptized. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And when God gave the world his one and only beloved son, he left no doubt about his love. 
Maybe you have experienced things in your life that are just one setback after another, one failure after another, and it just keeps building and building in your life. And you may have suffered all these setbacks and failure, but it's not whatever has happened to you. Those things don't mean that God does not love you. When God gave the world his one and only son, he left no doubt about his love and his love for you. So these are two amazing truths, but are they the end of the story? God loves the world, he loves you, so now is this everything okay? Is, is it, we know it, and so that's it? We just go along merrily? Does that mean that you can go on with your life as you are now, and when you die you'll just go to heaven? Just automatic? The answer is no. John 3.16 says that you have a choice to respond to God, to God's love by believing. There's two truths about God in John 3.16. God loves the people of the world. The second is God expressed his love to the world by giving his one and only son. And John ends the gospel of John with one last verse, these last words in the Gospel of John that expresses why he wrote this Gospel. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, but these things are written. He says, I wrote these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And when you believe, you're adopted, your sins are forgiven, you're adopted into the family of God, you're transformed from the inside out, and you take on the very nature of God, which is what we just, the truths about God. That when you take on that very nature of God, you love the people of the world, and you express your, your love to the world by giving. So I've preached on this a few times, John 3.16, and not every time did people respond by saying, I believe. And my thinking is that many of you believe in John 3.16. And so right now, if you believe in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that those who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you believe, would you raise your hand with me right now? 